Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast, another award-winning episode on tap for us today, Joseph. This is the show where we talk all things transportation, all things, not just driving, but walking and biking and scootering and sailing and motoring and zooming and flying and however, however else you want to get around. It doesn't really matter. We will talk about it on this very program or program, as some people like to say. I am the traffic anchor and transportation reporter for Denver 7 News in lovely Denver, Colorado, Jason Luber. I am the pedestrian advocate, Joseph Peters. I am proud to be part of a podcast that receives a participation trophy for every single episode. We do? From whom? I mean, we that's, I don't that has w- to be the award-winning episode that we get every <laughs> week, right? You don't know what kind of award it, it, you know we've won. I'm it's just assuming like, participation trophy. There you go. It's just like the four out of five dentists prefer one gum over a different gum, uh, or the four out of five doctors that prefer. They don't actually ask you what kind of a doctor they are. They could be a doctor of philosophy. Hello, Indigo Girls. That is true. Uh, Later in the show, we're going to talk about the state of our infrastructure, the state of our roads, the state of our rail networks, the state of our bridges, all of the above, how good they are, how bad it really is. The Reason Foundation has a new report out, and we're going to dive right into it with the Baruch Feigenbaum. I believe I'm pronouncing it right. I think I nailed it on that one. He is the lead author of the annual highway report from the Reason Foundation and assistant director of transportation for the Reason Foundation. We'll talk with Baruch coming up in just a little bit, so that'll be interesting. In the ridiculous story of the day, a retired man in the UK, he spent 30,000 pounds, I think that'd be about 35, I don't know, I don't know what the exchange, well yeah, it's a bunch of money because I don't know what the exchange rate is now with Brexit and everything including some of his son's inheritance, fighting a 100-pound speeding fine. 71-year-old Richard Keedwell says he was wrongly fined for traveling 35 miles an hour in a 30-mile-an-hour zone. The retired engineer is adamant he was not going over the speed limit and even recruited an expert who told a court the speed camera may have been faulty or set off by a car in another lane. So it wasn't even an officer, it was a camera that he got this ticket from. However, despite insisting he was right, and after losing not only the original court case, but also two appeals, he is done fighting after nearly three years of fighting a speeding ticket. Did he win? No, he lost the court case, and he lost both appeals. Terrible. He's, he's a total loser. <laughs> he said, oh, and he lost 30,000 pounds. <laughs> Exactly. He said he thought the case would be fairly quick, but he spent about 30,000 pounds on legal fees, court costs, and travel to and from the courthouse on four separate occasions. He also added that he regretted the amount of money he had spent fighting the case, that he just wanted very simple justice. Obviously, that didn't happen. So what do you think his big problem was? Speeding? See, <laughs> I think you don't hire an attorney, man. This is what attorneys do to you. This oh, is yeah. what legal fees do to you. I but, mean, it's it's the same thing with the class action things. Right. Who gets rich? Right. The attorneys. We just have, Do you think we'll ever see any Equifax money? No. I'm keeping my fingers crossed for that one. We could talk about that all day long. By the way, the Equifax thing, you now have to I, I actually submitted for Equifax money, but now you have to prove to them that you actually have the credit monitoring thing 
and then they'll maybe pay you. And listen, folks, if you're, if you're out there and you're wondering about this Equifax thing, you probably have credit monitoring. Don't let them trick you into thinking you don't have credit monitoring. If you have a credit card through Chase, if you have a credit card through Discover, if you have a credit card through basically any of the major brands, they are monitoring your credit for free. Don't miss out on the Equifax money because you don't know if you have credit monitoring. Rant over. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> but the, but another difference between that guy being in the UK and if that same situation happened here in the United States, we have the right because of our constitution, the bill mm-hmm. of rights, the whole thing to face our accusers in that way. So that's why when you are pulled over, you're actually given a citation to court and you have the right to uh, uh, face the accuser, i.e. the police officer, that clocked you going that fast. So then it's his word, your word, that whole thing. It's not your word against a camera. That's why the camera tickets right now, photo radar and all those sort of things, are just a a ticket, it's a fine, but it's not really a legal citation to take you to court. Correct. That's why you could just not pay it. That's why I always recommend you don't pay it, you just move on with your life and go on about your daily business and everything will be just fine. Well, I mean, if you do appear in court to face a date over a camera ticket, who represents the camera? Exactly. But, but, I mean, that's a real question because they're going to send an officer of the law to represent the camera, right? Like whoever's monitoring them on a regular basis. Yes, because they do have somebody in the the photo radar vans that – so this this is different than – there are a couple of different ways. They have the cameras like at red lights. They have they have photo radars set up around town, uh, you know, on, on a fixed pole or yep. something like that. Yep. But they also have, at least here in Denver, they have a van with the photo equipment in it, and there's an officer sitting in there, and that person does have the have the right. But but still, a, as I understand it, those tickets are still just not the same as an officer coming up to you, pulling you over, giving you a citation. Right, theoretical tickets. Are you all right over there? I was going to not incriminate myself on the podcast. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. Well, I think we talked about this last week, but one of the reasons I don't like riding on public transportation is that the public is gross. And New York City is gross. Have you been around New York City? Not recently, but I have memories. Well, New York City and the public in New York City, they are especially gross. And they're getting even worse. Complaints of soiled and dirty subways are higher than ever. And riders are now reporting cars caked in garbage, food, and all kinds of human waste. This is absolutely of no surprise to any New Yorker. One rider said saying the trains are getting dirtier is like saying the Titanic took on a little more water after it's already sunk. <laughs> <laughs> One writer says he's seen not just homeless, but young people throwing up on the trains. These disgusting conditions are terrible, obviously, for riders and for the workers. And now the, uh, the uh, MTA, the Metro Transit Authority there in New York City, they are apparently having an impossible time finding workers that will clean the trains because it is a gross and disgusting job because people are just pooping and peeing and puking all over these trains and leaving food and doing whatever they do on these trains, and it's gross. It's like being a maid on the 15th of February. You don't want to be a maid in especially Las Vegas on the 15th of February, do you? No, and you don't want to have to clean the subway. I mean, that's what it comes down to, and it's kind of how did it get to this point where it was this level of filth? Because at this point, it's just filth on filth on filth, Because right? people are gross. Yeah. Well. And you know what? It, it, it comes down to 
people don't treat public like they treat private. There is somebody that I work with in the morning, I see all the time, who treats this uh, building and her workplace uh, like trash. Is this the same person who got fined $75 for leaving a Cliff Bar wrapper in the backseat of an Uber? Uh-huh. Yep. I like her. Well, I like her too, but she will spill things and just leave it. Oh, watch out for that. Or she'll just let trash just fall. She does this all the time. And that story about leaving the wrapper on the floor of the Uber, that I, I'm sure she did that. And just left it there thinking, ah, oh, it's no big deal. Well, to the Uber driver it is. It's not her car, but it was his. I don't know if she would do that in her apartment. Maybe. I, I want to backtrack to she spills stuff and then just points at it and says, watch out for this. Yes. Happened this week. Yes. So I think that's what it comes down to. People will treat things that are publicly owned or government owned very, very poorly. Uh, they will treat privately owned things much, much better. Don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. So, And I wouldn't want one to be one of those workers either. RTD here in Denver is also having a hard time finding workers, right? They are. We did they the are. whole story. I did a whole story about that uh, with Russell yesterday. Well, and I've heard from a lot of people that that is like may possibly directly related to drug testing. Like they could get drivers if they would loosen up their regu- the regulations on marijuana driving. But the problem is like only stoners are going to get popped for DUI. Right. You know what I mean? Because they're carrying it in their system. So I don't know. It's a catch-22, man. Well, I don't also want a person who has had smoked marijuana either a day or two or maybe five driving the train that I'm on. So you don't know what kind of level of impairment they still might have a day or two later. I don't want to dispute that particular point, but what I will say is, you know, there's plenty of sober people that check their phone behind the wheel. I mean, we just saw somebody check their phone behind the wheel of an RTD train. That's probably part of the problem is that these people think that this job is too easy, so they just check their phones while they're doing right. it. So. Not good, sir. Not good. Not good. Well, down in Australia... They have much higher penalties for driving offenses than we have here in the United States, much higher than in other places around the world, really. And it's really a major deterrent to behaving badly on the roads. A a driver in Sydney just learned a costly lesson about driver safety. After that driver was slapped with a massive fine for a hack that they used to block sun glare from the side window of their car into their driver's eyes. Mm. Okay? So this 23-year-old driver was seen with two sheets of paper that were stuck across the driver's side window to block the sun because the visor apparently didn't go across the side well enough to block the sun, and it was bothering her, so she puts a paper up there to block the sun. Well, that's what... She was telling police when she was pulled over that these these pieces of paper were blocking the sun. She was fined $344 and issued three demerit points for driving a vehicle without a clear view. Boom. Lower the boom. That's, That's offensive, right? That's a lot of money for having paper on your driver's side window no. so you don't have the sun. But what if she had just had her visor down? Are they going to fine her for that? No, I would think that's part of the car. Right. 
So if the piece of paper, but the is, visor doesn't go all the way across the win the the window. But you want it to, and some visors do, right? I mean, some no, of them extend they, further than others. Well, they'll extend long ways, but they're not going to extend uh, down. They'll extend across, but not down. So, but what? Okay, so this then the difference between this and a tinted window is that you can see through a tinted window where you can't see through a piece of paper. Fine, right. whatever. <laughs> Stupid, Jason. $344 for that? Yeah. Come on, man. Throw out the paper. Tell her not to do it again. She's 23 years old. But that's 344 Australian dollars, about 235 U.S. dollars, according to today's exchange rate. Uh, can I find you $235? I would hope you wouldn't. There we go. Uh, police said the woman removed the papers, was then allowed to leave, obviously using sunglasses with those little side covers. <laughs> Have you seen those? There was a guy in... The old Indiana Jones movies, and there were some other old movies, like back from World War II movies with those glasses, with those little... Uh, actually, I think my younger brother had one of those, too. That little piece of leather that's on the side right there in the corner, so the uh, blocks yeah, sun we just, coming in. we just call those goggles at that point, right? Kind of, yeah. but they're kind of cool sunglass goggle things, right? Mm-hmm. That that would have that been a less expensive option, I think. But look, they should have just given her a warning right. rather than going full on and... And saying, "Here's your ticket." I mean, that's that's a little bit that's harsh. Mm-hmm. That hurts, doesn't yes. it? That sounds like that sounds more American than Australian. Let me tell you that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It does. Uh, it's, it's it's. But I guess you won't be doing that again. <laughs> we talked a lot about express toll lanes, adjustable toll lanes on the show. Well, Metro Atlanta hit a new record toll rate this week on the I-85 express lanes. It happened during one commute. Last week, the cost to use the lanes between Old Peachtree Road and Shallowford Road, it hit a record topping out at $17. How, how long is that road? The I-85 the I Express Lane between Peachtree and Shallowford? Yeah. I'll have to look that. I don't know. I, I would be more I would, than a couple I would, miles. I would, uh, yeah, I would say it's probably 10 miles. Yeah. So the previous record said in August of last year was 1550 and that's ever since the I-85 express lanes in Atlanta opened in 2011. Now, they is uh, they really established some adjustable lanes there after the after it was open, uh, so they can find oh, not fine, so they can toll you more depending on how much traffic are in those lanes. Here in Colorado, the the lanes are set via time. Mm-hmm. The prices are so certain times have higher prices. They want to do away with that. They want to do it like this model or other models around the country where it's based on the level of congestion. So if they see the lane starting to slow down, they'll start raising the fines quite a bit. Now, it, it really is that, that fine, or the fine, I keep saying fine. So The toll is really used to try to uh, adjust how much congestion uh, really is happening in those lanes. Right. And, and we've done stories here in the past about... The lanes up in, I believe it's outside of Washington, D.C., where they reached almost $50 one time because they were so congested. But yet people still got in those lanes and paid a $50 toll. Well, yeah, if you're willing to pay $50 to not sit in traffic, imagine how bad that traffic must be. Oh, it's yeah, it's got to be awful. And the goal of any of these folks, they say, is to offer a alternative to the slow-moving traffic, a a continuous lane that's always moving at about 45 miles an hour, but that doesn't always happen. Right. But what about when there's a crash and somebody's in those toll lanes? I was thinking about this yesterday here in Metro Denver 
we had a huge crash, and, and actually we have a huge problem on our north side toll lanes, express lanes, where the, there's no barrier separation between the free lanes and that express lane. So people can just go in and out. Now, there's supposed to be painted areas on the pavement that shows you where you're supposed to go in and out, but nobody really follows that. They just kind of go in and out as they please. Some people are gu- d- diving out so they don't have to pay the toll, and then they come back into the express lane. Well, obviously, the weaving and then people who are distracted and not uh, paying attention, then we see accidents, and we see, we've see we seen a ton of crashes up there, one of our most crash-prone areas mm-hmm. uh, all, 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 every year. So if you're in that express lane, and yesterday there was a huge crash, diesel, uh, a truck uh, was was crashed into, we had a bunch of trucks, uh, a, a truck lost like 200 gallons of diesel fuel all over the interstate, so it took hours to clean it up. And there were folks that were stuck in the express lane, so are they paying the toll when they're driving in that express lane behind a crash? Obviously. Right, I mean, obviously they're paying so you're paying five bucks or whatever it is because they to can't. sit there and and eventually come up to a crash that is I, sitting I, in your lane. I guess my counter to you would be like, who who's who's not who's stopping the payment, right? Who's stopping well, yeah, the nobody. automated system from yeah, working? You're right, nobody. So I mean, I would love to hear from those people who are inevitably going to be getting those tolls and saying, mm, I mean, I didn't really get anywhere that much faster. Why am I paying this much money for this? But there's a lot of people that uh, that are using those toll lanes and paying those tolls and. I, I I just can't justify it for me yet. I will use the tollway. Oh, here's another lesson I learned. So my my wife, she wanted to, she has this, uh, she's hosting a, a, a bridal shower coming up at the end of the month. And these two couches that we have, we have two chairs and a couch in our living room. And, and they're beat up pretty good. And they're this, uh, that, not simulated leather, but that bonded leather anyway it was starting to peel and crack in some locations so she was feeling embarrassed about it if there's gonna be a bunch of people coming over so she said maybe it's time we've had these couches for 10 years maybe it's time to this is the impetus to move them out and get something else so she'd been looking on craigslist and looking on uh next door and that sort of thing looking for couches anyway found this set of couch uh couch and two chairs uh, up on the north side of metro denver we were going to go pick it up on sunday now, she had suggested, well, let's just, just take the toll highway around the city, and then it would be nice and calm, and we can just take it up there. And I said, wait a minute. We're, we're driving, obviously, uh, a truck, and each, each one of those toll plazas is about 4 bucks. And you're going to hit one, two, three, at least three of those toll plazas. So you're looking at about 10 to $15 in tolls, just one way. And I said, but, but we're also going to be towing a trailer. And the trailer has two axles, and they charge per axle yep. so you can double that fee it's not four it's not two axles now we're four and so it was going to be about 10 to 15 dollars per toll plaza to yep. use the toll highway i said we are taking the freeway baby no matter how congested and it wasn't it was pretty i mean it was a sunday so it's not going to be super congested uh but we yeah that's a da- dicey game man those are famous last words. You say, "Oh, I don't need the toll road. I don't need the toll road. I'll be fine in the middle of highway traffic." And then you wind up in highway traffic with four <laughs> axles, and you're like, "Oh, I should not have done this." Well, and then my wife was uh, following us on the way back when I had the trailer loaded, and she said there were people that were zooming in behind us because we were driving a little bit slower than average, As obviously staying yep. to the right. Thank you, because uh, we have a trailer with us. And, and she said she was watching. There were people just just being crazy mm-hmm. right around us. So. We had that going for Welcome us. Welcome to Col- Colorful Colorado, man. Which is fantastic.
We all know that the roads and bridges and infrastructure around the country needs major improvement. That's really no secret. Well, the Reason Foundation is out with their 24th annual highway report, and they say the nation's highways uh, are not so great. The conditions are deteriorating, especially in a group of problem-plagued states struggling to repair deficient bridges, maintain interstate pavement, and really reduce urban traffic congestion. So we wanted to learn more about this study and get more into the infrastructure problems around the country. So we invited Baruch Feigenbaum. He's the lead author of the study to be with us here on the show. Baruch, thank you so much for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. So before we look at some of the best and worst states, let's look at the nation in general. How bad off are we uh, when it comes to neglect of our infrastructure? So I will say that we appear to be worsening. Uh, we've actually found we've been doing this report for 24 years, and for a while the conditions of the roadways were actually improving, which might be surprising because everyone hears a lot about how we're one big pothole. But um, the last few years, that seems to have reversed itself. And again, especially in the 10 uh, worst states, there seem to be some real problems with the quality of the roadways. Are conditions worse in rural areas in general or more in the urban areas? So I would say that it really depends on the state. We have seen that the worst states tend to be smaller, more urbanized, especially in the Northeast, places like New Jersey and Massachusetts. Um, but there are some pretty poor rural states as well. Ohio, uh, Oklahoma, excuse me, does pretty poorly. Alaska has some real challenges. Um, so it really varies. Well, I would think Alaska would have a lot of challenges, one with size, population. Uh, they're obviously tough uh, to driving conditions in the wintertime as well. Right, right. And uh, obviously the, the population density, I think they've had some challenges um, with the economy in terms of the, the oil drilling and not being what it once was. So um, their, their roadway conditions, pavement especially, is a real problem up there. So before we look at some of the best and the worst states on this list, how did you go about quantifying what makes a good or bad state? Sure, and that's a great question. So what we do is we rank each of the states in 13 different categories. So four of them look at spending per mile, how much states spend on new construction, maintenance, administration. Four of the categories look at pavement quality, how smooth it is to drive on the major roads, the interstate highways, and what we call major arterials, which are your relatively wide signalized roads. We have four categories that look at safety, looking at things such as fatality rate and also bridge condition, because obviously a bridge that's in poor condition can be a problem at the extreme. And one category looking at traffic congestion, uh, which is uh, a real problem in certain places. Each of those are weighed together. They each get an equal weighting. Um, we sum the score, and then each state gets a composite score for uh, their overall highway system. Let's look at the then individual states now. So which states are doing a good job? Maybe the look at the top 10. Sure. So the top 10 states are actually fairly varied. The best state is North Dakota, um, but Virginia and Missouri are actually two and three. And I think that's interesting because Virginia and Missouri both have some relatively large urban areas uh, and some uh, challenges in terms of uh, growth and, and traffic congestion. So that shows there's a, there's a variety of ways that states can score well. Um, other top states are places such as Kentucky, Tennessee, Utah, Kansas, Alabama, 
Montana, and Maine. And so those 10 states are the ones that tend to be at the, at the top. And what we found that is important for states, in addition to ranking high in categories, is not to have any super low rankings. We see that the states, even that do well in certain things, such as fatality rate, but maybe they have a poor ranking in terms of pavement quality or terms of disbursements, those are the ones that actually do worse in the rankings than states that are average to good in just about everything. It's interesting that these states are really across the country to the east of the Rockies, except for, I guess, Utah is the one. Maybe you can count Montana in there, but I would say Montana is more of the Great Plains states. Um, And there are some warm weather like Alabama uh, in there, but also the cold weather states like Maine and and North Dakota. Right. And... uh To us, that's actually a good result because one of the things we're worried about is are there certain biases in the report unintentional? So, for example, cold weather states, is there a challenge with the freeze-thaw cycle and maintaining the pavement condition? Uh, More populated states, is there a challenge because of population density or traffic congestion? Uh, More mountainous states, for example, a place like Utah, is there a challenge there uh, with the different terrain? And so what this shows us is it's really – the, the state DOT, the administrative structure, uh, the efficiencies that are guiding the rankings more than geographic circumstances. What jumps out to me the most is that these big electoral college states, your New York, your California, your Florida, uh, Washington, those all scored very poorly. And the only ones that seem to score well, just from what I'm seeing here, Virginia that you already mentioned, and then Texas as well, which I found a little bit surprising, what are those states doing right, or I guess alternatively, what are California and New York doing wrong? Right. Yeah, so some of the bigger states, you point out California and New York had some, some real challenges. What we found is the states that, that score well tend to have a couple different things. They tend to have a type of project prioritization process, which means the, the roadways that are getting wind or improved are chosen on a metric basis. They're not chosen for political reasons. And that uh, is shown in a lot of ways. I mean, it affects the spending, it affects the pavement quality, it affects traffic congestion. We've also seen that these states seem to have an ability to maintain their roadways. Um, Georgia is a state that did a little worse than than usual this year, but they traditionally rank well. They are very good at maintaining their pavement quality at a very low cost. And so that helps in the rankings, both in the expenditures and also in the pavement quality. Uh, We've also found that some of the state DOTs uh, contract out some of their maintenance a little bit more, use public-private partnerships, which tends to uh, reduce their overall costs and maybe more importantly, increase the number of projects they can complete in a given period of time, which helps with the costs and also with traffic congestion. So there's a variety of different things Um, The unionized states generally do a little bit worse, but we've had non-unionized states. Florida, for example, ranked 40th this year, uh, so that's a problem. So uh, there's a variety of different reasons. We're speaking with Baruch Feigenbaum. He is the lead author of the Annual Highway Report and Assistant Director of Transportation at the Reason Foundation. And I wanted to drill down on one of the first things you said in that answer, which is states with a metrics-based process for determining which road projects get built do better than states that have a politically based process. Is there any state in particular, I'm asking for to see if Colorado makes this list, but is there any state in particular that you would say has a particularly politicized process and what does that look like? Well, I would say 
Mississippi, the last time I looked, had a politicized process because the way their DOT works, they're actually run by folks who are elected, not uh, engineers or technical experts. Okay. And so what tends to happen is there's pressure for uh, certain projects in certain regions, shall we say, that may go to certain places to get constructed. And one of the problems we found with Mississippi, which is kind of the flip side of what you might see in a place like Colorado or, or California, is they were building new roadways and widening roadways they did not need, as opposed to doing some of the maintenance things that they needed to do. And the, sort of those ribbon cuttings were one of the challenges. I will say the states that probably do this best are two states that rank highly. North Carolina, I think, has the best uh, project prioritization process. Everything goes into a matrix that is then scored. Virginia also has a relatively good uh, project prioritization process that I think could be a model for some states. Well, here in Colorado, I can tell you from firsthand knowledge that our at least executive director now under our new governor is basically a political appointment because the current executive director, she does not have any real previous engineering knowledge, that sort of thing, of roads or running a entire state transportation department. So I think some states, even though it is an appointed position, doesn't necessarily mean that it's not an elected influence position. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And we've done a little bit of research. I, I like to do a little bit more looking at who actually runs DOTs and the quality of DOTs. And what we've seen is when you've gotten a transportation person, an engineer, someone with a strong planning background and economics background, as opposed to someone who is appointed uh, that does not have that background, the DOT tends to be a little bit more efficient and the process tends to be better. And obviously that varies from state to state, but we've seen that, so that does not surprise me. You were talking a little bit about how some of the states that are spending more than other states, and that's one of the uh, issues that you have studied there in this transportation study. Does that spending then, do you think, directly reflect on better roads? That would, what, that would be, make sense. I would say, but that is actually not what we see. What we see is the states that have the best roads are generally the ones with the spending in the middle. Now, the states that spend the least, they have some problems in terms of the pavement quality, but the states that spend the most, places like California and Pennsylvania, the roadway condition is actually in pretty poor condition. And so there's a question of exactly where that spending is going. Are there efficiency problems? Are there system problems in terms of the money not being directed to the right places? Uh, the states that spend the most don't tend to have the best pavement. I, it was interesting when I was looking at the part of the study, and it was talking about three different fatality categories, overall, urban, and rural. And all of them are actually showing more fatalities in 2016 than in any year since 2007. Is that a result of maybe more people on the roadways, more people out in rural areas where growth is happening? Is it a reflection of our more increased economy now? Yeah, I think the increased fatality rate is, is a number of different things. So one of it is the increasing economy. There is more travel on the road in general. And when you tend to have more travel, you, you just tend to get more accidents. But um, as it is a percentage, the bigger issue, we think, is actually distracted driving, be it texting, be it cell phones, be it people just not paying attention, uh, be it people using their Tesla in uh, an automated mode when it's not really automated. And sleeping and behind so, the wheel. And sleeping behind the wheel, <laughs> right, that kind of behavior. 
So, um, and there are a couple things that can be done. Now, obviously enforcement tends to help, and enforcement tends to be more the state police than the departments of transportation. But we've also found that certain roadway conditions tend to lead to more accidents and fatalities. So generally, straighter roads are better. Generally, roads uh, with 12-inch, excuse me, 12-feet lanes are better. Uh, generally, certain conditions that are actually improving the driveway, the driving conditions, excuse me, are the same thing that can improve safety. And so there is a role for DOTs to play in terms of improving safety. But as we get better roads, we're able to drive on these better roads faster in most cases. Roads are designed for a certain speed, and I think all of the most of the roads in the, in the highway system are designed for pretty fast travel around the United States. But we're also driving now better cars, cars that make you feel safer and also more comfortable at higher speeds. I remember in my 1975 Plymouth Fury, I didn't want to drive over 60 miles an hour, mm -hmm. but in my 2014 Chevy Volt, I, I, I would have no problem going 80 or 85 and feel much more comfortable doing that. And maybe that's one of the reasons we're seeing folks driving faster in general than in years past. Yeah, it's, it's complex because obviously with a more comfortable vehicle, folks tend to feel safe going at faster speeds. And I think therein is the role of enforcement, the role of setting speed limits correctly. We've actually seen that in, in some states, there's a big differential between the speed that folks are actually traveling and um, the posted speed limit. And in, that, in those cases, in many instances, it's because the posted speed limits are set artificially low. And in some cases, raising those posted speed limits to what we call the 85th percentile, which is what the engineers recommend they be set at, of what folks are driving at on freeways and on major arterials is a good idea. Obviously, we don't necessarily recommend that on local streets, but there is a role for enforcement and obviously some common sense. Probably going 120 miles an hour uh, does not make a lot of sense in much of any place. We are speaking with Baruch Feigenbaum. He is the Assistant Director of Transportation at the Reason Foundation, also the lead author of their annual highway report, which we're talking about now. Well, and there, there were a couple of things that came up in that last answer that I think relate to a different topic, which I know is not technically what we're talking about, but I want to bring, get your opinion on this anyway. The city of Berlin is, is looking at potentially banning SUVs and 4x4 vehicles from the city center. Um, because they're saying that those are armored vehicles, basically, and they're dangerous. One of the things you were talking about in that last answer is how comfortable those vehicles are and how easy it is to go 85 or 90 miles an hour in one of those on the highway without even really noticing it. Um, is there something to what Berlin's considering here? I mean, is that a model that other cities should be considering, eliminating some of these vehicles to improve safety in urban cores? I don't think so. I certainly understand the concerns that they have. I would point out there's a lot of technology things that cities could do right now if they're concerned, for example, about speeding. And obviously in cities there's a challenge because you tend to have more pedestrians and cyclists. And so depending on the level of pedestrians and cyclists, it might make sense to have a bicycle lane. It might make sense to have wider sidewalks. I think all those things need to be taken into consideration. I will say you can cities can time their traffic lights in such a way so that you can get folks to go at the speed you want them to go at. So if that's 25 miles an hour, if that's 30 miles an hour because you're worried about them going too fast, 
Uh, there are other restrictions of pricing, for example, is something that some cities are looking at, uh, both as a way to reduce congestion and also as a way to manage traffic that I think is something else to consider. But I don't think banning uh, personal automobiles is the way to go. So we were talking about infrastructure and infrastructure improvements. We haven't yet seen a large-scale infrastructure improvement package from Congress in quite some time. Do you think that it is time to see something like that? And have you heard any rumblings about when this might happen, see some money flowing from the federal government in large-scale ways back to the states? Sure. So, honestly, I don't think we're going to see a major standalone infrastructure package because the challenge is coming up with the, the millions or billions of dollars or trillions of dollars, depending on the various packages that have been floated. And uh, raising revenue is uh, not an easy thing to do, especially in Washington. I would point out that we have what we call a multi-year surface transportation bill that is passed every five to six years. And that annually provides between about 60 and, and $70 billion, depending on how you count the funding, to surface transportation. And so if there is a need for additional revenue, that's probably a more politically realistic way to go. I will say that that bill is set to expire in 2020, and there are currently discussions in the House and the Senate about how to reauthorize that. The challenge, of course, is there is a major election coming up next year that folks have probably heard of, and everything tends to get politicized when we have presidential elections. So unless they're able to do something in the remainder of this year, which I think is extremely unlikely, we will probably not have action until 2021, uh, in which case there will probably be extensions of the current policy. But that has tended to be the way we do major infrastructure projects in this country, as opposed to standalone bills, just for the political realities of, of getting one of those major billion-dollar standalone bills passed. But is that a way to try to tackle today's problems with today's technology and today's thinking without really taking into consideration the technology of the future with possibly getting into self-driving vehicles? We've already talked on the show in the last couple of weeks about self-driving trucks already on the road down there in Texas and Arizona and other places that it's it's the future is coming. I don't see, and we've talked about this on the show as well, everybody driving around in a self-driving car for 20 or 30 years, but are we using today's technology to try to solve tomorrow's problems? Yeah, that's a great question, and I think there is a tendency to do that. There is a tendency in Congress, no matter what type of legislation it is, to get as much money for your district or your state that you represent instead of looking nation nationwide at what we need to do to actually solve tomorrow's problems. And so a greater emphasis on automated vehicles and automated vehicle research, on different types of technologies, on ride sharing. Uh, Uber and Lyft have become very popular, and uh, there's different independent ride sharing companies. We're seeing scooters popping up in a lot of cities, electric bicycles. Uh, those type of things certainly need to be looked at from a policy perspective. Now, I will say from a federal perspective, we tend to look at long-distance travel, so trucking, uh, automobiles, um, to the extent that high-speed rail makes sense, uh, which I personally don't think it does most places in this country, um, and other long-term and nationwide uh, policies such as ports and uh, trade tend to be the things that are focused on um, but, yeah, federal policy tends to be backwards-looking, and I'm not 
optimistic that even if we had a standalone infrastructure bill, that would do a great job of looking forward either. Before we let you go, and we really appreciate your time today, something that came out of the study that was surprising to you. Yeah, I think the the thing that was most surprising to me about the, out of the study was the fact that conditions actually deteriorated this year. Because for the past 25 years, we've seen states making a gradual improvement in terms of pavement quality. And even though it might not seem like that every time you hit a pothole, the overall condition has been getting better. And so to see this reversal was a little bit jarring and indicates that uh, there's some problematic states that really need some attention. And uh, overall, we have to look at why we're not doing as well as we could be. Is it a funding issue? Is it a management issue? Uh, Is it something else? Uh, I think that was probably the big surprise. And where can listeners go to find out some more information or read the study for themselves if they'd like to? Yeah, we encourage listeners to go to our website, reason.org. And the study is on the homepage, but if it's If you're looking for more information, you can always go to the transportation tab and then click on the study. And in addition to the nationwide numbers, we've got numbers for each of the individual states. You can just click on the state on the map and pull up those numbers. And that's a great resource, a lot of information. Yeah, and we spoke to Bob Poole several months ago, uh, spent an hour with Bob, and it was fascinating to uh, get his perspective on on uh, not only toll lanes, but also infrastructure in general and just traffic in general. It was great to talk to him, and you get to work with him all the time. I do, I do, and Bob's got a lot of uh, great ideas. He's one of the co-founders of our think tank, and, uh, yeah, I'm sure the things he talked about, managed lanes, public-private partnerships, tolling, uh, we're obviously supporters of all of those. Baruch Feigenbaum, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. We appreciate your time. Thank you. appreciate it. Well, there you go. That's apparently the current state of our roads, and it it didn't look good. It didn't look like Baruch had a lot of uh, encouraging words. I, I wanted to ask him. I, I was going to ask him what's the most positive thing that came out of the report, but I uh, I didn't get to that. But Listen, if we're backsliding for the first time in 25 years, it seems like that's a problem. That is a problem. Right. But he also said that it, it's not necessarily money that is the – uh, way to fix everything. So maybe having a, a infrastructure bill and just drop billions of dollars on the states isn't the way to really fix the problems. Well, and it certainly doesn't seem like you can trust some of these state legislators legislatures to solve the problem either, because you got all these pie in the sky ideas and let's expand light rail and things like that. And as he said, light rail is not the answer, baby. You got to figure out a different way to solve this problem. Right. And if we're going to be wasting that much money on other projects that we know are not effective at solving the problem, we're getting right back into the politicization that is, uh, you know, destroying infrastructure. In some states. It all comes down to walking. Yeah. And that's all you're going to do from now on, walk? Listen, walk hard, man. Walk hard, drive less? Yes. Walk hard, drive less, take Uber. Is that what your philosophy now is going to be forever? I think so, man. I'm ready to make a turn. I, I, I've been you know, following a lot of bloggers, and I really feel like bicycling, trains, light rail, buses, walking, it's just so vitally underutilized in these traffic fatalities and you know, just straight up carnage on the highways. I've had enough. I'm ready for change. But- Okay. Seriously. I mean, you you are and have always been the pedestrian advocate for this show. Yes. Uh, And now are you going to become the pedestrian zealot? I think I'm ready. No, you're not. I mean, no, no, that that is that's a bold move. Pedestrian zealot, Joseph Peters. That is a strong move. And it's it's one that's hard to come back from.
Well, because once, but you have to go all in. I mean, you have to think that, I, and I don't think you're there yet. I don't think you're mentally all there. I think you're just dipping your toe in the water well, a little bit. You're going to have to tune in next week and find out. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. You're going to have all, all right, let me put this down as we're going to need some time. in next week. Allow for Joseph Rant. Zealot. I will put that in the zealot category <laughs> and put that right there. Okay, perfect. That's a that's bold. Away we you. go. Well, thanks again for listening. I think that'll be the week. What is this week? Uh, oh, yeah, happy birthday to my, my little girl, Jolene. She turned eight yesterday. Happy birthday. Jay Lynn turns 11 a week from today. Gosh. My little girls. Getting up are there, getting, man. Getting big. Jay Lynn is, I'm not kidding, four foot ten. She's four foot ten, man. and she's just turning eleven. You got a little basketball player on your hands. She too. is ridiculously tall, and she's already talking about Kircher and Jack as little potential boyfriends oh, in good. fifth grade. Uh, that's the age, dude. And then this, it's, uh, uh, all right. This is father talking here. And then she's she's going on about these two boys, and what do I do? Pick one or the other? I said, all right. Let's say you picked one. Let's say you pick Kircher, and then that upsets Jack T. And Jack then doesn't really want to be your friend, and it doesn't work out with Kircher in the coming months or weeks or whatever. And now you've lost two friends instead of having two friends. So you're down two instead of being up two, where you just let them be friends because you're in fifth grade. You're not going to marry these people. You're in fifth grade. What if they did, though? They're not even going to make out or anything. They're not going to kiss or hold hands, are they? Do you do that in fifth grade? Jason. Do you? Jason. I know it's a different world. Jason. They don't have phones. Jason. So I know there's not going to be any of that uh, Snapchatting. Jason. What? You, 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 my friend. <laughs> Am I just being uh, a little naive bit. here? You certainly are. Hopefully not, hopefully not that naive. Like, I want to believe a lot of what you're saying, too, but fifth grade, man. It's hard being a father in 2019. Thanks again for being here as part of the show. Thanks, Brooke, for uh, joining us here from the Reason Foundation. That was a great interview. I appreciate his time, and thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. I'm pedestrian zealot, Joseph. Oh, Peters. you all went all the way. Oh, goodness. I'm going to edit that right out. Uh, be safe, and as always, happy motoring. Thank you.